recently, you know, we were like in this uh, car accident. And so afterwards we thought, hey, let's get some dash cams in the car. So we put them up. And now whenever I'm driving around, all I can think about is how much data these cameras are collecting. And so as I'm driving, I'm just thinking, man, what, what could I do with this data? You know, and, and as I'm having ideas, you know, I want my kids to learn some of these concepts. And so we sat down and said, hey, you know, imagine if we had all this video, what could we do with it? And we were brainstorming a little bit. And we came up to this idea of, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we drove up behind a car and, and we could identify it through its license plate and then ask the question, oh, when was the last time I saw this vehicle? You know, or even when we come home, just ask the question out of all the vehicles that I've ever seen, which one is the most often car, right? And uh, that, that example, that scenario is how I think about the whole data science process. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Data Binge Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Russell. And if this is your first time joining, this is the podcast where you'll find discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on none other than the human relationship with technology and what this looks like in an emerging world of augmented reality, machine automation, connected everything, and of course, my favorite topic. AI. Today's episode features Brig Lamoureux, a senior advanced analytics and AI solution architect at Microsoft. And Brig's been with the company for about four years. Brig has roughly 20 years of software development and engineering experience. Before Microsoft, Brig worked for Apollo Education Group for about 10 years. Apollo Education Group is an American corporation based in Phoenix, which owns and operates higher learning organizations. So think of the University of Phoenix. He spent his time there building research and software behind adaptive learning and modeling student knowledge. Really, really cool stuff. Some of the systems Brig has been involved in developing and productizing feature novel advances in education, including cognitive science theories and data-driven personalization. Brig has also spent a lot of time directing, programming, and instructing 12-week learning boot camps where students build hands-on skills using real-world examples and projects. So as you can see, Brig finds a lot of value in learning and teaching, and you'll learn more from his lessons around all these different things he's been working on and how people learn throughout the entire discussion. Today, we talk about a lot of different items in the arena of learning, in the arena of machine learning projects. We talk about depth of knowledge and some projects he's worked on in modeling knowledge and the intricacies of the feedback loop of learning, which include three basic fundamentals that we cover, teaching basic concepts, developing examples that enforce these concepts, which involve different teaching methods, and providing measurement tools for what was learned. So tests and interviews, tell me about Java type of questions. We talk about what machine learning really is, the data science pipeline and the custom vision project he's working on with his kids to teach them how to code and to solve problems with AI. So for parents that are listening, some really, really cool takeaways around family dynamics and learning and teaching with your kids. We dive into some machine learning project guidelines and questions that you must ask for a successful project, as well as sample phasing of how he has approached a successful project Apollo. 
Specifically, the example we discuss involves predicting whether a student would drop a course two weeks before the course start date, apparently a very valuable metric for educational organizations. We talk about where you can get lost in the data science, which happens all the time, the criticality of data, and why the hardest part about data science isn't the fancy models, it's not the fancy AI, it's the data transformation and normalization. So the data engineering part of this pipeline. A quick example of this is taking a picture or a video and translating that into rows and columns of data so you can understand it and pull information from it. I really love this episode for its simple truth. It's super digestible. And the framework that Brig very elegantly poses is something that everyone can learn and everyone can really digest. This is a perfect dialogue for those that want to understand at the ground level what machine learning and AI is all about and how to approach projects successfully. It's simple, it's straightforward. And whether you are a business leader or technologist, you'll be able to keep up and will truly learn some invaluable approaches that you can apply in the real world. If you haven't already, please leave a comment about the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps me better circulate the content so I can better serve you through great guests and conversations The episode is also available on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. Please welcome Brig Lamoureux. Brig, how are you? Pretty good. Hey, man. Thanks for joining the Data Binge podcast today. Appreciate having you on. Very nice. So we know each other because we have this crazy, when I say we... I'm talking about the intelligent cloud team at Microsoft. I don't think it's a big secret that they are wanting our field uh, representatives to be highly, highly skilled. And they're uh, educating all of us and investing a lot of money in trying to get us to be the most highly skilled sales force uh, on the planet, essentially, especially when it comes to data, infrastructure, cloud, everything like that. And you're hosting these two-hour sessions just in your own free will, and uh, just as a, a way of kind of probably contributing and collaborating with us, and realized in your Friday Professor Briggs sessions, uh, you just have a really brilliant way of communicating thoughts, communicating procedures, communicating theories, ideas, and I had to have you on. And uh, hopefully, we can tease some of that out today in the discussion. Well, it's very nice of you. <laughs> Yeah, no, this is going to be fun. So, Brig, uh, can you tell us a little bit about your career and what you're doing today at Microsoft? Sure. Yeah, so my career started a long time ago. Back in high school, I took some computer classes, you know, and enjoyed it. And then I spent a lot of time messing around on my grandpa's computer, you know, all the ins and outs on DOS. And then when Windows came out, just poking at files and breaking it all the time and having to reinstall it from scratch. And, and that, that was a lot of fun. But really where things took off is I was working for this place called Camper Clubs of America as a reservationist. So people with their RV campers, they would call up and say, hey, you know, I want to get three nights here or five nights there. And, and I would type it in and, and make the appointment. Um, and everything was going great until the computer guy was fired for embezzlement and they hired a new computer guy. And I just kind of 
haphazardly told them, hey, if you need to know the systems, I kind of know how they work. I'd be happy to be your assistant. And he said, yeah, sure, why not? And uh, he started teaching me like VB and SQL. And that was that was the beginning of it all. And from there, I actually got my first job, you know, pretending to be a software developer, um, you know, in college. And it was pretty awesome for a little custom software shop here in Phoenix. And that was great because I was able to work on projects that were like so different from each other. I got to see all sorts of stuff. And um, from there, just moved up. I got into web development, um, slowly worked on larger and bigger applications, eventually worked my way up to be a principal architect. And along the way, the team that I was on, um, I was pulled onto this team called Ford Engineering, where we did all sorts of progressive type of work. And uh, one of the team members stumbled upon this predictive model that actually worked. And so the whole team pivoted and we started looking at building machine learning models. And so I got focused on one to try to predict if students would drop out of school two weeks before their first day of class. That was, that was pretty fun and exciting. Um, between that and Microsoft, I had an awesome time doing a boot camp. So for the place I was at um, within higher education, they looked within the field of education and saw that a lot of people instead of going to university, they wanted to just go get certificates and then get jobs. And so the school did a pilot program of this boot camp, and they asked me to come over and help it out. And we built out curriculum to teach students how to become web developers in 12 weeks. Um, so I helped build out that curriculum. I was an instructor with them. And our first class was a huge success. I think we had about 20 students, and pretty much all of them got jobs right after graduation. It was just a fun, fun time. So, so now things are coming together. So I, I knew you worked for Apollo Education Group and you, you had some fun building some models. I knew some of the, 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 the ML stuff that you were doing centered around you know, education and, and kids going to school. But I didn't know you were building out some of these programs and really moving forward in this way and getting pretty deep into how people are educated because it makes sense in how you teach and how you put together your own curriculum because you're like a super patient guy. <laughs> like, 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 is this, is this just part of the culture of education in terms of like you being a technologist and being able to, to teach and learn things quickly? Like what are your thoughts around like what, what kind of impact that had on you and the way that you perform today? Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think I've always enjoyed technology. I think learning is a huge passion of mine. And I also like giving back, you know, like in, in the Valley here, we have something called Desert Code Camp and it's on a weekend and people just donate their time to put sessions on and teach other people. And so I did that. And and then, like I said, with the boot camp, it was a blast because we were able to just hang out with people who were excited to learn technology. And uh, fortunately, yeah, being part of Apollo Group, I was able to work with curriculum designers who understood what it meant to learn. And of course, me being a sponge of learning anything, I picked it up like, okay, so this is how people learn. This is how you teach people, you know, this is how you get outcomes with learning. And, and so then when we designed our boot camp, we really focused on outcomes and then worked backwards from that to say, okay, well, if we want people to be able to develop, you know, a web app in PHP, what does that mean? You know, break it down into the different components 
And so if I want to teach this little idea, what's what's a really effective way to teach? And, and I learned all about different teaching methods and strategies and and uh, just try to apply it. And I know just from personal experience, just the way that I approach problems with customers is I'm always trying to approach it from, hey, well, let's start with a business challenge. Let's start with the outcome that you're trying to achieve. But I've never thought about that in the realm of, or the context of teaching. Yeah, it's is, the exact same thing. Exact same thing. You know, think about what is it that you, you're trying to achieve and work back backwards from that. Is that, you think, like the one big thing that you took away from your teaching experience or your, or your role oh, in education? Man, or like took, what, what's the, what are a couple nuggets that you just kind of extracted from that before we start getting deep? Yeah, I mean, my, my time there, I learned so much. It was all about um, this, well, I should say boot camp put what I had been doing at Apollo into real practical terms. So maybe just a little background. The, the work that I was doing besides building models was also trying to understand the way that people know something. Uh, so the project I was on was called Learner Profile. You know, how do you model the knowledge that someone has? And I worked with a bunch of great people. Um, but what we came up with is this idea of a concept matched with the depth of knowledge. So I could say, hey, you know, now Jimmy knows market structures. Okay, well, does he just kind of know it? A lot of know it, <laughs> you know? Okay, well, yeah, he can define and he can list out the market structures or he can analyze, you know? And it turns out people have already thought about this. And so we just took the research that had already been done and just kind of put it together. Um, so I'd already been thinking about concepts and depth of knowledge and the way that, you know, people understand things. And within the boot camp, I was able to apply that directly to what we were trying to do, right? So the first couple of weeks in the boot camp, we don't want them to know everything about JavaScript, but just the very basics. And so the curriculum was really designed around understanding these concepts and then coming up with examples to reinforce that learning. And then the, the third thing, I guess, you know, not only understanding concepts and applying with different teaching methods, uh, is what I learned from all the predictive models is how do you evaluate and measure whether something worked or not? And so this feedback loop of if I'm going to do something, how do I measure that it actually works well? And so we did that in the boot camp. You know, we would teach, we would hope that people got this concept, but then we put these measurement instruments in place so that we knew whether they understood it or not. It could, that could be a test, that could be a project assignment that we asked them to do. Or we would just interview them, you know, saying, hey, tell me about JavaScript. It's almost as if I, I almost I, I feel this, this entire discussion is going to be about learning and teaching. This is, <laughs> this is really cool. You know, I have two young kids, one's two and a half, one's one. I'm always thinking of, and they're just learning. It's like a flywheel in terms of how fast these kids learn. So I'm always thinking about discussing with my wife, like what kind of education they're going to have. How are we going to teach them to just be better human beings. So these things inherently, I think are valuable for everyone right now. Um, but going back to what you said, so you're teaching a concept, you're kind of proving the concept out with examples. And then how do you evaluate? That's right. exactly what you do in our data engineering sessions on Fridays. Like you come and you, you present a, some kind of a, uh, an, a, a, some kind of concept. So you're, you're teaching us big data and that, I'm not a technologist, so I've been struggling with it, but you've been helping tremendously. And one of the things that you talked about was, you know, how a computer functions. 
and you compared it to a kitchen. Yeah. And you said, hey, the CPU is the chef. <laughs> the memory is the table that you're using to chop the vegetables. And your storage is in the cabinets. Your database is in the cabinets. And it, I swear to God, it like completely revolutionized the way I thought about computing and data and how computers work. And then you would like test us. Like, okay, Derek, why don't you tell me in your own words what I just said? Like literally five seconds before. And right. it was hard. And some of the, and you're like, oh, I know that, Brig. Why are you asking me that? But then when I translate my own words, it would be kind of off. And then you would correct me. But then I would know that I would, it's just that whole feedback loop that you're getting back to. It's really good. And you're just really good at it. And it's, it's awesome to hear from someone who's passionate in the space. Yeah, and it, and it, and it kind of ties back to the whole data science process, you know, where we we have an idea, we try that idea, but then we have to measure it to know whether it's effective or not. And same thing with teaching. You know, I I think it'd be kind of crazy for me to walk into a room and just spit out my thoughts and then leave and assume that everyone got it, right? Yep. Because it goes back to, to the outcome. I mean, the intent is for you to know, not for me to preach at you, but for you to know. And the only way for me to know that you know is to, to find out. Well, maybe we should send, maybe we should quote that and put it into a, a crazy meme and send it to all the, the top universities <laughs> so that their, their professors can <laughs> go ahead yeah, and listen to that yeah. stuff. Um, so, okay. So on the topic of machine learning, AI, you love this stuff. You've been working on predictive models for a while. Um, and one of the ways I got introduced to you initially before these teaching uh, seminar sessions, virtual sessions, is one of our coworkers came up to me and actually had her on, Connie Fan, uh, on the podcast earlier, a couple, maybe about six months ago. And she said, hey, you want to talk about machine learning? And you talk to Brig. He knows <laughs> what he's doing. Like he, his entire way that he approaches it, it's just really easy to follow. So could you talk about like what is machine learning? And it doesn't even have to be, whatever it means to you, what is machine learning, Brig? And what are some things that you've been doing or learning about approaching a machine learning problem that you think people should know about? Yeah. So machine learning um, falls into the category of advanced analytics. Uh, people have been doing advanced analytics using statistics for a long time. Um, and there are these algorithms that, you know, so really machine learning is nothing more than a family of algorithms where the more data you give it, the better it gets it trying to do whatever job you've asked it to do. Um, a good example that I like to give is if I'm ever in, if I'm ever in a room is I'll say, hey, everyone pull out, pull out your phone and open up and start a new text message to someone. And uh, right below, oftentimes it will give you a word suggestion and I just say, just hit the middle word. Just hit it 10 times, pop, 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 pop. And then I'll ask people around the room to read what the message says. And it's interesting because everyone's message is different, right? Um, and they're kind of shocked by that. <laughs> but the reason why it's different is because the phone is trying to predict what you're going to say next. And so the developers for that feature didn't just hard code some set algorithm, but instead they wrote a learning algorithm. And the more data that you give it in terms of the more texting you do, the better it's getting at predicting the next word. 
And so the words that you use on your phone are different than the words that I use on my phone. So that's just a simple example of, of these learning algorithms or that makes sense. Yep. So, so iterative statistics, iterative math, and then for folks who kind of look at AI in comparison to ML, these, these terms get interchanged all the time. What's, what's your interpretation of AI? Yeah, I've, I've heard people describe it all sorts of ways. Um, one person said artificial intellig- intelligence is kind of a larger umbrella. And within that, you would have machine learning as these family of algorithms. Uh, that, that's one way I've heard it. And in terms of your approach, Brig, like you have a specific way that you approach a problem. And, and you mentioned, I would love for you to talk about, if you're at liberty to, uh, the example of what you're teaching your kids in terms of how they're using AI and how they're using some of these algorithms. And I think you're doing some experiments with them on the weekends or in the evenings or whatever. Yeah. And it's an interesting way of approaching things and you really dummy it down for the six-year-old. I'd love to hear your interpretation of what you're doing with them and how they're learning and what that process looks like. Yeah. So like I said earlier, I, I love learning and I love teaching. So my kids are caught in the crossfire of that. <laughs> uh, but recently, you know, we were like in this uh, car accident. And so afterwards we thought, hey, let's get some dash cams in the car. So we put them up. And now whenever I'm driving around, all I can think about is how much data these cameras are collecting. And so as I'm driving, I'm just thinking, man, what, what could I do with this data? You know, and, and as I'm having ideas, you know, I want my kids to learn some of these concepts. And so we sat down and said, hey, you know, imagine if we had all this video, what could we do with it? And we were brainstorming a little bit. <laughs> And we came up to this idea of, you know, wouldn't it be cool if we drove up behind a car and, and we could identify it through its license plate and then ask the question, oh, when was the last time I saw this vehicle? You know, or even when we come home, just ask the question out of all the vehicles that I've ever seen, which one is the most often car, right? And uh, that, that example, that scenario is how I think about the whole data science process, you know. Most of the time, we're in a business situation, and we have a business outcome that we're trying to achieve. And so that's where we want to start, is what is the ultimate business outcome? In my case, we're looking at, hey, when was the last time I saw this car? (laughs) Why do I want to know that? Because it'd be fun. But in a business world, there are dollars associated with that. So starting with that outcome, then we move backwards. And so say, okay, given that, um, what data would I need in order to get there? Well, I would need to know the license plates and I would need to know some GPS coordinates and I would need to know the date associated with that and then walk backwards. Okay, well, how can I get that? Well, I know that the camera's capturing it. And so now there's this gap between the video feed that I'm getting and the license plate and the data that I know that I need. And so the trick is how do I turn video into this nice clean data that I could just run a SQL query over? And that it then we start to dive into the techniques of you know, data engineering, um, cleansing the data, and having a nice set of clean data that we can start to build some um, visual models. Um, yeah, that's it's fun. That's a fun space. And just in preparing 
for this discussion, I just did a little bit of research on my own, just trying to think about, hey, what is the data science pipeline? You know, what does it look like? Um, and there was, I think in, in 2010, uh, this OSEM process was described, which is the taxonomy of tasks that a data scientist should feel comfortable with. And I could put a link into the article, data science at the command line facing the future with time-tested tools. And OSEM, it's interesting, stands for obtaining our data, scrubbing, cleaning the data, exploring, visualizing the data to look for patterns and trends, yeah. modeling the data to give us predictive power, and then interpreting the data. That's right. Um, what, what do you think that business is today? And I mean, every single conversation, I'm, and obviously I'm in data and AI, and you're touching all those different things as well. What are folks and businesses taking for granted or what are they overlooking for the most part? And we're a couple of years into this thing. People are having a lot more successes than they used to. I think we're well past the, the Gartner's hype, uh, hype curve, the, the, little, the, the little crescent at the top. Like, what do you think folks are overlooking and where should they be focusing more on? The thing that I've noticed when I go out and talk to, to folks is this idea that uh, in the data, there's gold and all I have to do is reach in and scoop it out and, and grab the gold, right? And that's totally opposite than the process that I just described, you know? I, I think that's the fundamental problem that people have is instead of looking at your data as um, a place where you can pull money out of it, instead, focus on your business and say, what does my business need? What would be the key business drivers factors that could help me if I only knew X, Y, or Z, um, right? What are the main business drivers? Because all of, everything else is just building and cleansing data to, to get to where you want to get to. This idea around, oh, wow, uh, predictive models are going to save the world, right? That's, that's not. They're just regular models. Um, one uh, thing that, that I like to kind of challenge people whenever they have a, a data science problem is walk through a series of questions to see how viable would this be. Uh, the first one is like if, if there's somebody saying, hey, you know, I have all this data, I want to do something with it. First question can be, okay, well, can you just draw a simple chart with an X, Y axis? Uh, show me like a correlation line between X and Y. And if you could just label that for me, that would be the, the first question. And you'd be surprised how many people are just like, what, what are you talking about? You know, and if you can't even come up with an idea of, oh, I think X is related to Y, uh, then we can't even get out of the starting shoots, right? So it, back to my example with my kids in the video, the correlation is, um, I think this image has a correlation to uh, license plate numbers, right? And which it does. I, I know that this image has license plate numbers in it. The other correlation, I think this image is correlated to cars, right? Um, and so we can start thinking about the data that we want and the source where we can get it and see how the two are related. So that, that's one question. Uh, the next one is given the data, so imagine you've already cleansed the data and you have a really nice clean data set. Um, you know, given the data, 
Is there an expert somewhere in the world who could make the prediction that you're looking for? And, and what I like to think about is like with real estate, you know, so if I gave someone all the numbers of, um, of, of like a property, square footage, you know, the number of bedrooms and bathrooms, is there an expert in the world who could predict the value of this home? It turns out, yeah, probably a real estate agent could do that, especially if I included the zip code, you know? Very good one, yeah. Yeah, and and if there's somebody who can do that, then we can build a predictive model, no problem, right? But if we can't find an expert who, given the data to predict something, it's going to be very challenging to try to teach a computer how to do that if we can't even get an expert to do it. And then from there... You know, there's a series of other smaller sub questions to kind of go into to check this viability. Um, but I guess kind of going back to your question, what thing would I try to ultimately teach people is instead of just jumping into this idea of, hey, just throw data scientists on the problem and they'll get it in, in two months. I think that's the wrong way. Instead, we should have incremental checks to see how viable it is this problem that we're working on, you know, and have constant check-ins and feedbacks, almost like teaching a class. I'm not going to wait till the end of the class to ask you how things are going. I'm going to be asking you all along the way, does this look right? Is it going well? Does it seem okay? A lot of, so a lot of things I'm thinking about when you're, when you're talking through this, because I, for first, the whole, Derek, we've got so much data. We've got so much data. I, I hear that all the time. And then at the same time, when I hear uh, a colleague or a tech company or a quote or a meme or whatever of someone saying data is the new currency, I think I'm going to punch myself in the face yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm like, that's great. That's like saying rice is the new currency. Like, wh- what are you going to do with it? You know, you're yeah. going to make risotto, you're going to make pilaf. Like, there's, I'm just thinking that's great but how does it relate to your problem and you started off with this hypothesis which i really like because that's a great way to cut through that comment like oh we have all this data okay well like what are some help us understand what you think what you think correlates you know if if you're trying to solve this problem where you want to know when or, or which routes are free uh, during a heavy train schedule for emergency services or something. If you want to know which routes are free, like, do you have an idea of how to predict that? Or does someone know that so we can understand how to approach it? Because if they don't, you just have all this data, you could be, you can be screwing around with this thing for a really long time. Um, and I like how you're saying, you know, find this expert. Like, how did you even come to that? How, how, how did that question even come to your mind? Like, when did you start thinking in that in that fashion? Like, yeah, that was back when we were doing those predictive models at Apollo. So we were in a the domain was about student retention, and um, I was walking the halls once among all the counselors who were on the phone with students, and one of them hung up the phone and said, oh, that student's going to drop out of school. I said, oh, really? How, how do you know that? <laughs> oh, I can just tell. From the first phone call, I can tell with 90% confidence that what, if a student is serious or if they're going to drop out. And of course, my ears 
perk up because I'm working on predictive models. And here's somebody who just said, I have predictive powers that are 90% accurate. And so I thought, oh, I'm going to test you on this. And so I wrote an app um, that looked at the call log like of the first of the first call log for students. And uh, the, the app was then presented to a couple of different counselors and they would see the call log. And then at the top of the application, it said yes, no. And, and the question is, will the student drop out? And I already knew the answer, uh, but I tested them and they, they would check, you know, 10 different students and they would make their predictions. And it turns out that they were not uh, 90% accurate, but they did have some predictive powers. And so that is that first check in my process. You know, is there an expert that given the data, they could make the prediction. And if there's a signal there, then we can move on to the next thing. And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, you know. And I dug a little bit deeper and, you know, try to find out what is it that you're looking for. And so then phase two of the game, um, I included a leaderboard, right? And I told them, hey, you guys are all going to... Gamified it. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to gamify it. And this time, I'm not going to use historical data, but we're going to use real data. And you, got, you can use whatever system you want to make this prediction. So each of the uh, counselors were given a set of new incoming students who were two weeks out from starting their first class. And they would try to make these predictions whether the student would drop out or not. And so over the course of uh, several months or so, we started to get some results back. And sure enough, there was still the signal there. So in my case, I have an X and a Y. The X... Um, were all the different variables that the council was looking at and the why was whether they would drop out or not. And, um, and it was cool because then the leaderboard gave me uh, my experts with who I should go back to and ask them, hey, what data were you looking for? And so it gave me two things out of it. One, it confirmed um, you know, that yes, we do have a signal here. We can keep moving forward with this overall hypothesis. And the second thing, it gave me a list of experts to go to and start finding the data that I needed. Uh, oh, I forgot to add, in between walking the hallways and asking this counselor, I actually went to somebody in the business and asked them, hey, if you knew somebody was going to drop out two weeks before, uh, would that matter? Would you even care about that? And come to find out, they said, yeah, we, we could do a lot. You know, We could put an intervention in um, to try to do something different. But the important idea there is there was a business need, right? Sometimes you could make predictions, but if it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. So somewhere in my process, the first getting an idea whether there might be predictive powers, the next thing would be to see if there's any business viability because that will drive kind of the rest of the, of the process. This is, this is, this is great because I mean, really, you're just whittling it down. You're, you have this process of really take, taking some problem and this, this path that you're following is I'm going to whittle this problem down so that we're not focusing on a problem that probably can't be solved if there's no, there's no expert on this thing, like climate change. You know, like that's, there's no expert that could tell us right. all the different features and all the different variables that, that can predict that obviously and not to get political, but obviously it's happening, <laughs> you know, but how do you predict, how do you stop all those different things? Um, but then you're saying, Hey, like 
so let, let's just find this this line that best fit and it looks like it's pointed in this direction so let's look at this problem because it's starting to make sense i mean you know there's some correlation there but then let's go and figure out where that data is at and which data to look at so that the time that you're spending with this problem it's just you're really just hassling this entire process that's right yeah and 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 it's true. The data is critical. It is very valuable, but it's very specific data. It's only the data that the counselor said, yeah, I used this field in this database, or I looked at these logs over here. It's not the entire mountain. It's a very specific set of data. And the only way that we arrived there is because we started at the beginning saying, boy, I'd really like to keep students from dropping out. I wish I knew if they would drop out or not. Oh, there's somebody who think, thinks they can. Oh, well, how do you know this? What data do you use to make this prediction? Oh, we get these six factors, right? And so after reviewing those things and kind of performing all this data jujitsu, data engineering jujitsu, modeling jujitsu, did that change the way that you thought about education? Or did you think about that changed the way that you thought about how kids drop out of school? Did that give you any biases, biases, do you think, about the outcomes? Now, you, you want to know what happened. Um, I actually got way more interested in business because of it. You know, for the longest time, I was a developer. You know, my background was technology. And finally, I realized, oh, technology is here to support the business. And in this case, the business was educating people. And their primary outcome is have someone educated on the other side. And so if there's any factor that's stopping that from a business perspective, I want to optimize this process. And so it was fun for me to see how I could use technology to help optimize the business of educating. Right. And, and I started to think about technology from a totally different perspective. Granted, I think going through and getting my MBA during the same time helped. Right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, but my main focus is now from the business perspective and, and every data science problem, we hear it 10 times over, it's a business problem and that's where it has to begin. And, and just yesterday I was at uh, Microsoft's Envision tour in San Francisco uh, and then Judson Althoff there was there. He's the uh, EVP for the worldwide commercial business and he was giving some lectures to these business leaders. Envision is like this collaboration learning event, business-centric, where we invite all these S-level, C-level uh, decision makers from our customers. And we talk about technology and talk about trends and specific industry verticals. So I think we talk about retail and we talk about manufacturing. I think there's another one in there. And one of the things that Judson said that really stuck to me was that technology is really the servant of business strategy. Absolutely. And I was like, that's awesome. That he so eloquently kind of laid that out. And it's, it's absolutely true. Um, so, you know, for, for business leaders that are taking a look at these different problems, and I have, I have meetings with multiple um, business leaders tomorrow with different business functions, um, all concerned with the same thing. Can we build up a platform that helps us make decisions and we want to do a couple things, but we need to ingest some data. There's multiple systems. We need some decisions to be made. We need some visualizations. Um, at what point 
do data scientists when they're looking at these different things do they get lost like you know is this a regression is this is a classification is this clustering there's all these different models you know at what point does it get too much into the granularity of data science which it's almost like people are trying to like prove how smart they are and talk about all these different things when you're not even talking about models you're talking about like hypotheses and you know talking to people and creating leaderboards and understanding what they know like what's going on here brig <laughs> yeah so for me um i was really infatuated with with machine learning and data science um I was so excited to take the machine learning program offered through Stanford with Andrew Lynn and, and, um, and I got into it. I started diving into it and it was like the curtain was removed. I saw how it was made and I was so disappointed that it wasn't more magical than what I imagined it would be. You know, it turned out that a lot of what we were looking at were just that regression models, you know, and uh, now with neural networks at the end of the day, the technology, it's, it's fascinating, it's interesting, but it's not magical. And most of the um, projects that you may go through, if you're ever doing like a machine learning tutorial, the actual machine learning piece is one or two lines of code. And that's it. You know, everything is about cleansing the data, prepping it, and then just handing it off to the model to do its work, and it's done. And so I immediately realized, okay, I don't need to spend my time thinking about the model because people are coming up with the algorithms themselves. My job is to understand, okay, when to apply what in the different situations. And that's actually pretty easy. There's papers and workflows that people have already given. Um, and that's less of the problem. It, the real pro problem is how can we serve the business with the data that we need. You know, you, you said something about, hey, all these businesses are thinking about building data pipelines and tools. And that's true, right? In order for the data engineers and for the data scientists and the, the modelers to be successful, they need access to the data and they need tools to process the data. And we want to do that in a way that makes sense, that's enterprise scale, that has security and monitoring and logging all enabled. Um, so that we can see data lineage. I mean, there's a whole world and ecosystem around it. But at the end of the day, I go back to why are we doing this? Right? What's the end goal here? There's a business purpose, and that always needs to drive it. I think sometimes people get lost in the minutia of it all, and they forget to bring their heads up and realize, okay, we're doing this for a specific objective. And now I'm thinking about every single customer I'm talking to, every single business I'm talking to is talking about, we're going to hire some data scientists. We're going to hire some people that know how to do this stuff. And at the same Envision conference, uh, social media guru and like you know, Instagram hero celebrity, his name is Gary Vaynerchuk. You may have heard of him. And he was talking about hiring and firing. And he's like, hiring is luck. Firing is just knowing and it's hard to understand who to hire and who's going to be good. And it's such a dynamic world of you're talking. I mean, you're put, you're bringing in this people element thing. You're inter interviewing people, talking to people. So you have to have this relational skill. 
And now you're talking about, hey, the models don't really mean that much because the one or two lines of code, it's really the data processing, processing and adjoining all these different things that happens inside. Um, what do you think are some key differentiators to people who are doing really great things and solving really big problems and have a really great approach and people that do not? Yeah, the, the people who are successful is they realize that there are different roles within this pipeline. A data engineer is totally different than a data scientist, who's totally different than an analyst and a business person, right? Um, you'll hear terms used differently, but what I mean by that is data engineers, their main purpose and goal in life is to munch the data, to get it through that pipeline, to cleanse it, so they can hand it off to um, a data scientist or a modeler, really, to train a model, right? And successful organizations realize that those are different skill sets. Um, and the folks who are doing the real data science, they're looking at it from a science process of kind of like what I was describing before. I have an idea that this might work. I'm going to check for viability. You know, I have a process in place that I follow. It's not haphazardly, but I'm going to test it for viability and move it along my hypothesis chain until I either confirm or conclude that it's not going to work. Um, that's what successful folks do. People who aren't as successful, they'll just hire 10 guys and say, there's the pile of data, go find correlations. And here, I'll, I'll buy six different tools so you can visualize it and, and find, find the gold. And that's no better than back in the olden days with prospectors buying plots of land, trying to find money. It's not, it's not a very effective way to do it. This is really clear. I, I like the, how you laid that out because, I mean, just throughout our discussion, you're really painting this picture of just an easy way to approach this. And I'm wondering, Brig, so we talked about things that people may or may not be struggling with and the, how their approach and the way that they're thinking of things. Um, what are some things that you struggle with um, that you would like to get better at or uh, things that you've had, you're having to work on day over day? Um, you seem like a pretty calm and tranquil and in the moment person, well thought out. So like, I'm interested in understanding, like, what are your gaps and how are you trying to fill them? Yeah, my gaps, um, have kind of evolved with time. And even the way that I perceive myself has changed with times. I remember early in my career, my goal was to always be that person on the team who would be hitting home runs. And so I made sure that I was on the cutting edge of technology. You know, I'd spend my free time messing around with technology so I could just know it. So then at work, if a problem came up, I could say, oh, yeah, I know how to do that. Um, uh, nowadays, I'm less concerned about that, right? Um, the things that I think about have to do more with the relevancy of it all. You know, yeah, I could study and do everything I want, but how do I... Uh, cut it down to what's most important. And so, I mean, I, I've, I've been toying around with some of these ideas of how do I take what I know and can do and apply it towards something that's, that's actually useful. And in fact, I was really inspired at um, the, the 
Digital Transformation Academy that we had in Las Vegas not too long ago for the internal training. Uh, There's a speaker who came, um, I'm blanking on his name, Brian, uh, I forget what his name is, but he's, he's a lawyer. And I'm actually in the process of reading his book because I was impacted by him so much. Oh, did you, Brian, you remember his name? Brian, Brian Stevenson. Stevens. Yeah, yeah, there we go. I, yeah. I just read I just read his book. I finished it. Just yeah, Mercy. Just Mercy. Yeah, oh, I'm, gosh. I'm a few pages away. So good. So yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. So I was inspired by him because here's a guy who saw a problem and he said, I want to make a difference. And so with his particular skill set, in this case with the law, he was able to make impact, real impact in people's lives. And so that's the thing that I kind of struggle with is finding that thing, you know, that I can take. I I get a lot of joy of donating my time with either scouting um, and seeing these young men grow and mature and learn new skills. That's a lot of fun. Um, I like to participate in meetup groups, you know, and, and teach and, do all this. Uh, So it's something along that line and it's something bigger, but I don't know what it is yet, you know, and I'm struggling to find it and understand how it can fit into my life that already has a million things going on. Right. Yeah. That's kind of the thing that's on top of my mind. Yeah. I, I've, I've thought about that a little bit because and I, I really enjoy that you, your answer to that question was this, um, because there's multiple, I think, things I'm thinking about and trying to get better at. But one of those things is is kind of that, like you have this finite time, and you have this specific skill set, and you're good at all these different specific things. Like, but how do you and how do you map that to that thing that is really gonna just scale and be really great for whatever group of people that will enjoy the outcomes of your labor and your, and your, uh, you know, philanthropy. And it's, it's hard, you know, like I, I've thought about writing to becoming a pen pal and uh, writing, uh, you know, teenagers in, in prison um, before I even wrote the, or read this Brian Stevenson's book. And then I yeah. spent some time trying to find those people in like nonprofits and it's, it's really hard, yeah. <laughs> you know? And then I'm like, okay, well, what if I write one letter? Is that enough impact? Are there ways to create more impact than that? And like, am I good at writing letters or is that a good spend of my time? Um, so I, I'd love to hear how you solve this problem. I haven't, <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is tough, you know, cause I'm pretty active in my church and our church gives us ample opportunities for service opportunities, you know, and, and it's, it's a lot. Um, but yeah, I, I honestly, I haven't been able to, to solve it yet. And, and some thoughts that go through my mind cause I travel a lot and I'll be flying in the, in the sky and looking down and I see all these houses and it, and it hits me again, just thinking, Oh, Brig, you know, there's so many people in this world, you know, and I imagine the lives that are going on, you know, under the plane, uh, just the trials that people face because everyone's facing mm-hmm. something one way or the other. And I just think, man, I feel like I could be doing more, but I don't know what it is yet. That's a, that's a good feeling uh, because it, it, I think it, 
it's telling that you're probably a, a good person. <laughs> you're like thinking, yeah. I, was, I could probably make, be making more money or be taking from, you know, there's other thoughts that you could be having. Uh, so what, what other books are you reading? Uh, podcasts you listen to? Like what, what's some of the stuff that oh, you surround yeah. yourself with? Uh, so I'm a terrible reader. You know, my wife will read, she'll blast through 10 books and I'll make it through one. Um, let's see the, the book I was reading right before Brian Stevenson won Just Mercy was the Tao Te Ching, right? The, uh, the Taoist book, right? Because mm-hmm. um, I think that's pretty cool. Oh, what's another good book that I've read recently? Oh, um, The Road, right? Have you read this? I've watched the movie and it was terrifying. Oh my gosh, the <laughs> book is so just heart-wrenching. You know, what's his name? McCormick. Uh, what's the author? I, I'm terrible with names. I'll, I'll put McCorm- it uh, in the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, amazing book. But I love that along with uh, The Book Thief. You know, these type of books that just tear both directions of, oh my gosh, just the terribleness of it and the amazingness of it. Cormac uh, McCarthy. There we go. There's- Cormac McCarthy, yeah. So that's a good one. In terms of podcasts, my favorite podcast I listen to is uh, NPR's All Songs Considered. So I love music. And so I'm always checking out new bands and listening to stuff. I uh, Not to reveal too much about my personality or my demons, but I just went to a Tool concert on Monday night. Oh, nice. And uh, <laughs> my, my, my ears and my heart are still... Uh... Still pounding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, that was an... Uh, just an absolutely phenomenal concert. Just that's cool. Couldn't, couldn't have been couldn't have been better. Um, so last last question before we uh, uh, deploy you back out into the world, Brig. Um, if you had, if you could solve one problem, and you had infinite resources, and you only had seven days to accomplish it, what what problem would you try to solve? I'm stuck with that. That's the problem I'm trying to think about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. 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 How, how should I spend my time? Uh, one, of the, one, of the, <laughs> one of the last uh, fellows I had on said that he, he would clean his house. That's um, funny. Yeah. Uh, and I'm like, wow, you must have a... He's like, it's clean, but I'm like, you must be pretty OCD. Yeah. Um, all right, Brig. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. And just sharing your story, and um, oh, one one last thing. Um, back to this education thing with kids. Um, a word of wisdom for someone who understands education for a guy or gal that's got a couple kids and is looking for some advice. Oh, uh, okay. So it turns out that uh, kids are people too. And they have their own ideas and thoughts and motivations. And uh, the things that motivate me are very different than the things that motivate them. And so uh, it's an experiment to try to find out what motivates kids and to know that uh, the only way to get something into their head is if they want to learn it. You know, I, I may want to teach it as much as I want, uh, but there's a great I think, Chinese story with, you know, a student climbs to the top of the mountain to go to the master monk and says, oh, I want to learn of your wisdom. And the monk grabs him and 
dunks his head in the water and holds it down so the guy's, you know, about to pass out. And he brings it up and he says, you know, when you want knowledge as much as you want air, then I can teach you. And I've certainly learned that with kids, you know, is that as much as I want to teach them, it's not going to work unless they want, unless they want it. And so I would try to think about the motivations that drive them and focus on that, you know, go, go where they are, the direction that they want to go and support them in that. That's great advice, man. And, and great little story there to share too. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, hey, Brig, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. I'll post some of the things, the links and things we talked about in the show notes. And um, I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you on Friday right. during our That's session. Right. <laughs> All right. There we go. Thanks, Brig. See you later. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us in the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.